Hi, and welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. My name is Jessica Mujis, and after teaching kids yoga for over a decade and being immersed in the industry, I created this podcast as a warm and supportive place for parents, teachers, caregivers, and kids yoga professionals to gather. Episodes include conversations with kids yoga teachers, business owners, and authors, child development experts, informational episodes on specific kids yoga topics, yoga adventures for children, and even the voices of children themselves. It is my hope that you can come here each week and gain inspiration and form connection with your fellow kids yoga community. Welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Kids Yoga Podcast. My name is Jessica. This week, I am joined by Nicole Colicious. Nicole is the founder of Seattle Kids Yoga and a pediatric occupational therapist. She has been teaching yoga to children and families for almost two decades. She is currently living and working from the road in her tiny home on wheels, a converted camper van named Freebird. Since embarking on her kids' yoga teaching journey in 2002, Nicole has taught yoga and mindfulness to thousands of children and families, facilitated trainings and courses in U.S. and internationally, led family yoga retreats in Costa Rica and Hawaii, developed curriculum, including hundreds of lesson plans, coached aspiring kids' yoga teachers and business owners, and recently authored her first book, Yoga for Little Kids. Nicole is committed to honoring the roots of yoga and making it accessible, relatable, and enjoyable for all children. Nicole, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I just want to give everyone a little context. We're in a unique situation here. Um, Nicole just got a really bad ankle injury, so she's coming to us from a hotel bed but she is a trooper and she decided to still do the recording. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And the fracture did not happen today. I mean, that would be a true trooper. It's been um, a few days now, five days, but um, my mobility status still has not changed. I am still sitting in a bed in a hotel room in Bend, Oregon. So right. and, yeah. we'll, and we'll get to, to other interesting things yeah. about yeah, um, <laughs> your journey and, and your travel and all of that. Um, but sure. outside of, of what just happened, let's start with your yoga journey. So when did you first find yoga in your life and how did it impact you? Oh, I love this question because it goes back um, more than two decades now. Um, I was in OT school, occupational therapy school in the late 90s and um, had read about yoga as a treatment modality in um, OT and rehab. And um, I was, what attracted me to OT in general was the holistic aspect of it. And then yoga just felt like next level holistic aspects. So um, that was very intriguing to me. Um, 
but I did not have a personal practice at the time. So I remember finding a VH tape, a VHS tape of power yoga. So again, late nineties and um, started practicing with that VHS tape. It's so hard to even remember how to yes. say that. <laughs> so long ago my brain wants to say dvd but we're yes. even like yeah. further past, we're past DVD. that too <laughs> um and then in um the year 2000 i actually took my first actual class and there's a funny story behind that because um so i was in college at the university of hartford and they offered you know like college credit elective classes and a friend of mine had signed up for this yoga class and she asked me if I wanted to sign up too. And I said, I don't want to sign up, but I want to go to the class with you to see if I like it. And I remember her being like, but you can get a college credit. And I was like, mm, but I don't want to have to drop it if I don't like it. Like that was more of my concern with having to go to like the registrar's office to drop this yoga class than like whether I was going to like it and get a credit for it. But I went um, and it was a Kripalu style of yoga, which is, um, um, are you familiar with Kripalu? Yes. Yes. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. And um, so it was a teacher that um, was trained there and just taught this just so such a lovely, well-rounded practice. So um, very different from that power yoga VHS tape. Um, and and I loved it. So I continued to go to that class without actually ever signing up for it. I would just show up and never sign in, but just practice. And, um, and then in 2002, um, I moved to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I started working um, as an occupational therapist. And that's when my personal practice um, became consistent. Like I, I really dove deep into my personal practice then. And um, yeah, just became really just hooked on what yoga was doing for me personally. Mm. So for, before I get into your work with specifically with yoga with children, can you tell me a bit about being an occupational therapist? I think a lot of times people get confused between that physical therapy and like what, what exactly your offerings. Can you tell us about mm. that work first? Yeah, sure. Um, this is another one of my favorite topics to unpack because, um, yeah, a lot of people put OTs and PTs into the same category, whereas there, that makes so much sense because we're both working with the body and, um, in the rehab world, there's a lot of crossover. Um, but the, one of the differences is that OTs work more with the upper body and upper extremities and PTs work more with the lower body, lower extremities. And then OT has a more holistic component to it. So instead of just rehabbing, um, a person back to say like a certain range of motion, which will be my life with this ankle at some point. Mm. Um, so just looking at numbers, which is somewhat of what PTs go on. OTs look more at um, the person as a whole and like, why do they need that range of motion in their upper extremity um, to like, what are their quote unquote occupations? Um, so like, is it someone that, that has, 
work. Okay. So that's what we normally think of when we think of occupation. So what's someone's work, their job, also occupation as a parent, um, as someone that likes to hike or ski or practice yoga. So looking at how to get a person after an injury or illness back to that point. And then with children, we're looking at children as um, like their occupation being students and also friends, um, uh, children of adults. But so students and, and friends, so it's how to um, improve skills that are needed in school. So fine motor skills, gross motor skills, executive functioning, sensory processing, um, but as well as some social skills, like, but not, not in, in, in regard to communication social skills, but more in regard to like, playing a game of catch with a friend or playing some sort of recess game with a friend. Um, so um, the latter is what my work in OT has been with children. Um, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. And so I've worked in the school setting um, and primarily with children who have developmental delays and also are on the autism spectrum. And my specialty is around um, sensory integration and sensory processing. Wow. So what kind of, so when a children, a child comes to see you, do you see um, if you're in a school setting, is it children that are specifically sent to you or like parents who feel like they need the extra help? So what kind of range of kids do you see like in, mm. in a week? That's such a great question. Well, um, I am not currently practicing um, occupational therapy in a traditional sense. I still have a license and still registered. I still consider myself an OT. Um, I, I left the field in terms of working as an OT in a school system in 2014. Um, but I had 12 years under my belt mm. when, when I did leave. So how it works in public education is that children have to be eligible for services. So they have to demonstrate um, a, an educational need to receive services. So it's, it's different than um, like a therapy clinic where anyone that has the means um, can bring their ch child to see an OT. So this is more like, um, yeah, kids who um, under the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, that that federal law um, gives them access to these services. Because I mean, all children would, would somewhat benefit from OT. And that was such a, I mean, I'll, I consider it one of the most beautiful things that I got to do as an OT. And that is I would go into classrooms that had a child that received services on my caseload and teach that whole entire class yoga, and then consider mm -hmm. that the OT minutes for that particular child. So mm -hmm. that was, that was uh, kind of my way of beating the system of not being able to work with all children. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. So is that, tell me how you started sharing yoga with children, like how you made that transition. I, I suspect you kind of saw that it just fit in with your OT work and yeah. started there. 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. So um, I think like many, many yoga teachers, when I first discovered yoga, I was just like, oh, this is like the best thing ever. I want to practice yoga every day. I want to talk about yoga to anyone that will listen. Um, yeah, it was just like, oh, it, I finally, I felt like I had finally found my thing. And it was the same year that I started working full time as an OT. And so I was also super excited about being an occupational therapist. So this was back in 2002, almost two decades ago. And um, I remember being in yoga class in my, like the wheels turning in my mind being like, kids could do this. Kids could do like kids on my caseload could do this. Kids that I see at the preschool could do this. We could do. And, and, and then I would just start thinking about all the motor skill and sensory benefits that were happening as kids would be practicing yoga, just, just thinking about that. And so I started bringing it just in little bits and pieces into um, the classroom. And um, maybe about six months after that, uh, I learned that kids yoga teacher training was a thing. I mean, this was before social media, right? So um, I think it honestly, I can't even remember how I found my first kids yoga teacher training. Maybe in like um, an, like the an OT magazine or something like that. I cannot even remember. So that's when I learned that you could become a kids yoga teacher, and I was like, oh, I should probably do that because I'm been already teaching yoga to children for uh, over six months now. Yeah, oh, that's so that's so cool. So yeah, so then it's like so it's just so um, related and interconnected. So yeah, so yeah. Did you from there? So you're integrating it, and then was there a point when you decided that you wanted to really dive fully into kids yoga and outside of the school system? What what made you leave that particular job? Yeah. So, um, so what? <laughs> so, and I, I actually I want to say a little bit more before I dive into that yeah. because um, there's so many similarities between. Um, how I and a lot of kids yoga teachers that I know how they teach yoga and occupational therapy. So OT is very child directed. It's taking kids interests and then building a therapy session around it. And I mean, doesn't that sound just mm -hmm. like yeah, a, a kids exactly yoga it. class? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, exactly. so it was like, I, I mean, as I got to know more and more about, about yoga for kids, I was like, oh, this is, you know, just like occupational therapy. So the, the, just the, the transition and the, the overlap for me was just seamless. And just OT is also so about the process versus the product or the outcome. That's and, yoga. I mean, yeah, and that's same. yoga, that's mindfulness. So yeah, so I just felt like I was just yeah so able to do both in such a natural natural way and so of course because I was feeling um that both made so much sense kids were incredibly receptive to that um 
And then what happened um, was I started to get burned out working in public education. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, after probably like after year 10 and I stuck it out to year 12, which not saying that proudly, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I just started to get burnt out and started to really feel the strain of working in public education, of the paperwork, of not actually getting to spend as much time with the kids as I wanted to. And then at the same time, um, my business was expanding to this point where I felt like I had reduced my hours. I was working part-time for Seattle public schools at the time. And then I was working part-time in my kids yoga business, but part-time that is more than part-time in both, both businesses led to me just, just working a whole lot. However, I loved, loved, loved anytime I got to teach yoga to kids. And at that time, I was teaching in studios. I was organizing summer camps. I, um, during my time with Seattle Public Schools, I co-facilitated and organized two family yoga retreats. So I was doing, and, and I was leading teacher trainings too. So there was a lot happening. And I got to the point where, um, yeah, I felt, well, one, confident that I, could make it as a business owner, self-employed person. And second, um, just for my own mental health needed to make the transition. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate. I can relate to that, like being burnt out, but then sticking it out for another few years. <laughs> Cause it's like, you just feel connected to the kids and you, and the work is important. And, you know, so it's yeah. hard to, to, yeah. you know, and, but yeah, looking back, it's always like, oh yeah, that was, I did that a little longer than maybe my and, body and was telling me. Yeah. I remember listening to Emily Fleming on this podcast and her talking about just pre-pandemic, that kind of um, martyr attitude of educators of like showing up early, staying late and, um, I think that, um, you know, it's so easy to fall into that way of thinking and doing and being because everyone around you is doing that too. So my hope is that, um, you know, the pandemic has taught educators a lot about taking care of themselves. And then I also think, oh gosh, like since I left public education seven years ago now, there's been so much more of a push of mindfulness and taking care of and educators taking care of themselves and supporting each other and taking care of themselves. So that feels really good to me. Yes, definitely. There is that shift happening for sure. I think it's, yeah. you know, it starts, it starts slow, but I, I see it building. So um, I, I want to hear about Seattle kids yoga. So, so tell me, so you started it while you were still working in the school and then so once you decided then to say, okay, I'm going to go this direction, um, just tell me about the business and like the, your mission and how it is, it's changed over the years. Yeah. Um, so I obtained my first business license in 2007. It was under a different business name then. Um, and for so long, it was just me. So people never really knew me by that business name at all. Uh, I, and then um, at some point, 
I, I switched over to, to Seattle kids yoga and, um, yeah, Seattle kids yoga has, it's, it's such an evolving business. And I love that because it's similar to the work as an OT. It's like seeing the process of, um, versus like, okay, it is complete. Here is this business. Like I'm good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an evolving entity and, um, the pandemic really taught me to not be so attached to it and let it sound sort of woo woo, but let it tell me like how it can serve mm-hmm. me and how it can serve my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that said, I fought so hard at the beginning to keep it going, to keep online classes. And so I don't have a brick and mortar. I don't have a physical studio space. So at one point I was just like, wait a minute, I can, we can just go on hiatus. We can just take a little break. And I never ended up actually taking a full on break, but I was able to step back and realize that I still had purpose in life without being um, running a kids yoga business, without being the owner of Seattle Kids Yoga, even though I still was, but, and that Seattle Kids Yoga would continue to be what it was. And also it's come out in a way, um, I'm proud, I'm proud of where it is. I think it's come out in a way a little bit stronger and um, really much clearer on my mission. And so, um, I mean, the mission in general of Seattle Kids Yoga is to, um, to bring joy, to bring awareness, to bring personal power into children's lives through an inclusive practice, through education, and through fun. I mean, that I feel like the the, the first two can kind of maybe be looked at like as a heavier thing, like the inclusivity and the education, they're more of like the heady thing. And then the fun, the joy piece is, is more of the heart. Um, and they both go, go hand in hand to create a well-rounded, a well-rounded business. So how did, how, where is it at now, now that we're mm. still in the pandemic? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. like we're still here. Um, mm-hmm. So are you mostly virtual still? Are you doing online? Are you doing trainings? Like what is, how is it right now? Yeah. So where it's at right now is in-person classes have come back. Um, pre-pandemic, we had we were, we were sharing yoga with over 500 children on a weekly basis in public and private schools in the Seattle area, primarily preschools and early childhood centers. Um, I have a, also have a contract with the Seattle preschool program, which is publicly funded preschool, um, within Seattle public schools. So it's funny. I've kind of like woven my way Mm. back into the public school system, um, which just makes a whole lot of sense and is very enjoyable this time around. Um, And so now that contract has come back and a few others are, and a few schools are like, we're just still waiting. You know, um, some are like, we're not letting anyone that isn't staff or parent or child into the school until 2022. And like, it's, 
at this time last year, I felt so, well, maybe it wasn't even this time last year. It's probably summer 2020, you know, so much stress and anxiety around, around getting those emails. And now it's like, okay, yes, yes, that is your process. So glad that you're making those decisions and we'll be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, I think, I should have figured this out before we were going to chat, but I think out of those, there was about um, 50 weekly classes and we probably have about like a quarter of those Mm. happening. Yep. Um, And then, you know, I put um, our 25 hour certification course online um, myself and another um, facilitator, we were leading that. throughout throughout 2020 into 2021 um and now I've just put that on hold I'm gonna wait until we can gather in person to do the certification course and um actually currently exploring putting other courses um on more like specialty courses on um a self-paced platform because I'm feeling a little like zoomed out I know some Mm -hmm. people are still really enjoying it and love the community aspect of it but um what I've learned about myself is I really just need to figure out what I want to do first and then yeah. and then that's going to translate into um what is actually best for Seattle Kids Yoga and I'll attract the people that also feel like that's best for them. Yeah, yeah yeah thank you for sharing all that that's so I mean, I think a lot of business owners are going to relate to this the fact that mm. I mean I think everyone's business is completely took a shift and there was so there was such a period of time of anxiety and stress and figuring out, Oh, what do I do? And other companies are doing this. Do I do this? Do I do the trainings online? Do I do Yeah. And I'm glad you're at a place where it's like, you know what? Okay. I have to be enjoying this. It can't be so depleting because a lot of these doing trainings online can be real. I mean, that's, that takes so much energy, like, and it's a different kind than when you're getting the feedback in person. And so I'm glad you're kind of like, it sounds like you're navigating, like you said, it's, it's so it's all in line with this theme of the occupational therapy and, and following the, the lead, right. <laughs> and seeing yeah. what's in front of you. So I love that. That's kind of, um, woven through this whole thing, mm-hmm. which kind of leads mm-hmm. to the next thing, which is unrelated, but fascinating. The fact that you made a decision to live full-time on the road was yeah. this. So I don't, first of all, tell me when you made the decision, was this early pandemic, um, I know now you're in a hotel, your injury, but you, you yeah. were living in, is your van called Freebird? You have a- my van. Yeah. My <laughs> tiny home on wheels is her name is Freebird. Yeah. So tell me about <laughs> how you, you guys made that decision, what that's been like. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, so yeah, I mean, how things changed, um, <laughs> in March, 2020. Um, so what happened, I mean, I, I talked a little bit about how Seattle kids yoga just kind of went into like this kind of like hiatus hibernation place. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, my partner is a designer and his business was primarily designing these large scale events. And so, mm. you know, those weren't happening. Um, and we were living in Seattle, which um, just, I mean, so similar to so many cities across the country, but is just become increasingly, increasingly, increasingly more expensive. And so 
who's paying a whole lot of money to live in the city where we couldn't do anything. Um, and both of us just love the outdoors, love to hike, love to camp, love to explore, um, love to just like sit out of cell service off grid for, for days. And so, um, we were, we were doing a little bit of that, just, you know, leaving Seattle, going to the woods, camping, whatnot, coming back. And then um, Matt had this brilliant idea in August of 2020. He was like, let's just get out of here. Let's, um, let's pack up the Subaru and just, just go. And um, we decided to go to the Southwest and um, put a rooftop tent on the Subaru, which was really cool. And so we were the plan was to be out there for about a month three weeks to a month and we just kept on putting back putting off going back <laughs> like just let's mm-hmm. just keep on going and so we realized that we were we were just we were finally like after so many mon- months felt this sense of calm and felt this sense of peace and he had been tossing out the idea of getting a van converting it living in it working in it um even pre-pandemic is kind of like a vision a dream of his but I don't think we would have ever done it um so he was still talking about that it was funny we were on a hike at Big Bend National Park in West Texas which is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous national park. And we're hiking. And I had been thinking about this for days, but I hadn't said anything to him. And finally on this hike, I said, let's do it. Let's get a van. Let's buy a van. Let's convert it. Let's, let's like ride out the rest of 2020 in it into 2021. And now it looks like into 2022, (laughs) but, uh, and so his his reaction was hilarious because he was like, whoa 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 I don't know <laughs> and after like months of trying to convince yeah. me that this was a good idea so then once he like got over the shock that I was on board for this too like yeah okay let's do it um and so we got back from that trip in September 2020 moved moved out of our house bought um a van a 2020 four by four Printer van, which is Freebird, is just as badass as she is beautiful. <laughs> she has like these huge tires and solar panels, and I mean, she's she's decked out to go like off roading wherever and off grid for a very long time. And so we spent about six months turning her into a home with a bed and a kitchen and a composting toilet and an office and a induction cooktop and plumbing and electrical, wow. and like an outdoor shower. Yeah, it's, um, and we also were, you know, very aware that we're not millennials. We're in our forties. We're like, if we're going to live in a tiny home on wheels, we're going to have everything we want. And yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we do. And she's awesome. And the name Freebird comes from um, Matt's last name is Bird and Mm. B-I-R-D. So we were like, well, obviously we need to, you know, name our offspring after you and so she became free bird and I thought that we might call her birdie or bird but we just we call her free that's that's her name and I haven't seen her since 
Wednesday when I fractured my ankle. So I'm, yeah, yeah. missing her madly. Sometimes I can see her from the window, but um, you just yeah. leave. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Yeah. So I mean, so yeah, that's our our current um living situation. And I'll tell you, it's it's like we, you know, we find these incredibly beautiful out of, you know, civilization in the middle of nowhere places to park for the night where like my kitchen view as I'm cooking or doing the dishes is like, you know, the million dollar view and Mm. where we just roll up right to it. That's so amazing. That's so inspiring that you had the vision and that you guys actually did it, you know, that you went for it and we're like, we're doing, it's funny that he was really gung ho. And then once mm-hmm. you agreed, he was probably surprised. Like, wait, I, <laughs> I didn't think you'd really like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. but that, that's so wonderful. We <laughs> yeah. We also jumped into the project of, of doing this very naive, um, there's definitely like a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, converting I can imagine. Oh my God. Like, I, again, Matt's a designer and really, you know, super skilled at things like this. Um, and at the same time, um, back to the pandemic, it's like doing anything, at least for me, for us, doing anything during those months that was even the least bit challenging became like a hundred times more challenging. So like just level of frustration and whatnot. But yeah, so we've just been really taking just, uh, you know, since we've been on the road full time, um, it's been about six months. So so we left Seattle in November, 2020, beginning in November. Mm. So we're like, you know, 11 months since we became these nomads. Um, and it's it funny as we were on that hike with my ankle, we were just talking about how like we feel like we can finally like exhale, like, okay. Like my Seattle kids yoga has picked back up. My business has picked back mm. up. Matt's working as a freelance designer right now like his work has been inspiring and there's been a good amount of it <laughs> and, then and then you the universe is like ankle. hey yeah hey let's see um, I know you think you, have you know what you do again. with this chest yeah, yeah. <laughs> just reminding you no control yeah. <laughs> oh my god well thank you for sharing that story I think it's just so fascinating yeah. I think people are gonna just be very inspired to hear it. Um, yeah. Well, I want to circle back to mm. to all of your kids' yoga work and just teaching so many children in Seattle area and in schools and how it's coming back. So I'd love to hear your kids' yoga gem, which is how I always mm. end the episode. So what would be your one big piece of advice to anyone that's sharing yoga with children? Ah, yes. Thank you for asking that. And I was thinking about this one because as a Libra, I'm a Libra, um, choosing just one thing is not my strong suit. Um, so, but I did, and that is to, to always be that student as well. So, um, to be that student of yoga as well, and also to be still learning about kids yoga and how, 
how we can always do better. Okay. And I use we in like the, this general sense or, or just how you can always do better. So the pandemic also provided me with space to re-examine a lot of what I was offering through an anti-racism lens, um, through a cultural appropriation lens, and also through that inclusivity lens. Like we were doing a really good job, including children of all abilities, but what about um, children of all genders? And so there's always more to be bringing in and the work there never ends. I do want to give a little shout out to Susanna Barkataki if um, you know people want to learn more about that cultural appropriation and how to turn it into cultural appreciation. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of her, um, Jessica. She's just hmm. such a godsend to, to this yoga world. Um, and then also um, Nicole Cardoza and her team at racism daily to learn more about just all these all the anti-racism practices that we can as as white um, kids yoga teachers be bringing into to classes for for all children for children of all races um so that's my gem and just go about it with curiosity, go about it with an open heart and go about it with excitement that you get to learn more and that you get to do better. That's, that's so well put always learning, always evolving, always doing better because when we know better, we do better and just keeping Mm. that open mind. And there's, that's what I love about this work is that it's always expanding and changing and growing. And there's such a community out there. Like you mentioned, there's so many people if you know, that you can follow and learn from and um, by their work. Yes. Yes, for sure. Did you say by their work? Yeah. Get the book, get Suzanne's book. By their work. Yes. Get them for their time. I thought that's what you wanted to say. I I thought that's what you said, but I actually wanted to then like emphasize that. Yeah. The importance of paying, paying for those, those resources, paying people for their, their, their time and their efforts and what they have to share with us. Right. So important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, I'd love to, for people to be able to find you too, and the work you're doing and if they want to get in touch. So can you point us to your website, social media? Yeah. So it's all under Seattle kids yoga. So seattlekidsyoga.com and then just the handle Seattle kids yoga. And then I also have a book coming out, um, yoga mm. for little kids. And so that is, um, available wherever you get, get your books. And that's specifically for those one to three year olds. And, um, it's called simple, well, yoga for little kids, simple poses with a purpose. So each pose is attached to a developmental benefit, um, or just, um, some sort of skill that those little ones are working on. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you too, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Thank you and have a wonderful evening and good luck with your upcoming surgery on that ankle. (laughs) 
I wish you luck and good healing and good therapy yeah. to get it, get your yeah. ankle going yes, again. I'm, I'm, it's going to be a process for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, do you know when this will be up? Yeah. Well, let, let's sign off now and we'll, we'll oh, chat yeah. about that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Sorry. I wasn't sure if we were signed off or not or okay. Right. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah. You too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to support the kids yoga podcast, here are a few ways you can do that. Visit www.thekidsyogapodcast.com. Here you'll see a link to my Patreon page, and you will see different monthly subscriptions, which will offer you added benefits. You can also contact me through the website and see all of the episodes that have been released so far. In addition, I truly appreciate those five-star reviews and ratings because It just brings so many more people to the show, and it just means the world. So if you feel compelled, a rating and review, and press that subscribe button as well. So if you want to get in touch, shoot me an email, thekidsyogapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow The Kids Yoga Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Again, thank you so much for being here.